welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the one and only Jerry Springer. Thank you. (laughs) So... You say they're brilliant. They are brilliant. Is there a test? Do we have testing here? They're like-minded, like like of like opinions. They're brilliant. If they can find Ludlow, Kentucky, yeah, they absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Well, hey, I'm excited because tonight we have Cincinnati Dancing Pigs, a very storied uh, history in Cincinnati yeah. in the Cincinnati music scene. I'm they're married they're married a jug band. We're going to talk about that in a that little bit. That doesn't sound right at all. And also, no. <laughs> well, no, it doesn't sound right. But it we'll sounds get to like it. I'm, it doesn't sound right at all. No. We'll get to that. But <laughs> also, Sorry, well, you presided over the ceremony. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like I married a pig. <laughs> yeah. You say I married one, no. <laughs> and I didn't. I no, no, no. no. Trust I, me, Mickey is not. She's okay. Oh, she's unbelievable. She's, no, she's wonderful. Yes, she's yes, yes. Forty-two years, but okay. We'll get into later we'll get what, how I married a pig. <laughs> okay. Um, and also, Jerry, we're going to ask you to make some comments on uh, a recent event in Missouri where, mm-hmm. oh my God, student activism is alive and well, it looks yeah. like. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I do have to, and I, you, you know, you always hate to start off a podcast with a tremendous downer to lay a dark cloud over this table. But we are getting huge pushback on some of the joking that you have been doing about hearing aids. You've been doing a lot of, you've been mocking people who have some hearing, older people, let's say, et cetera. And we've gotten emails, and I've only brought in a couple samples because there are way more than we would have time to read. But I'm going to give you an example of the problem. This comes from, and I'm just going to use his first name, Dell from Spokane, Washington. Dear Mr. Springer, (laughs) it's aimed right at you. Maybe you think it's funny no, it's to not. mock people who wear hearing aids, but it's not. And here, listen to this. He's very specific. I was especially offended by the story you Louder. told uh, that you, <laughs> yeah, about Seriously, a man. not funny. Let him finish. It says here, <laughs> I, I was really offended about a story that you told about a man who goes into an ice cream shop, struggles to pull himself up onto the <laughs> stool, and then asks for a banana split. And when the waitress says, crush nuts, he says, no, arthritis. He did not think, <laughs> he did not think that was funny. And he says, and I'm quoting, I'm quoting, it says, that is offensive, and I'd like to hear an apology. That's from Dell from Spokane. Yeah, that was a joke that I yes, told? Yes, you told, told that, that joke. joke. Not, yes. Is that, that doesn't sound well, like Well, that's how I remember it. Yeah. He remembers it the same he, way. He remembers it the same way. No, I was just talking, and I wasn't making a joke. The guy said... You know, this was the finest hearing aid money can buy. So I'm being polite. I said, what kind is it? He said, four o'clock. <laughs> See, yeah, Please like don't. I need time. everyone to stop that's laughing like at fit, this joke. Really, come it's on. So is that the only one he has? <laughs> now, here's another email on a totally See, different topic. you're getting topic. in trouble all over the place. This one is to Megan. And I have to admit, yeah. I have no idea what it means. Maybe Megan knows. Maybe you can help. This is from Jake from State Farm. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I should not do that. <laughs> it's to Megan. <laughs> and it says, <laughs> I don't 
I don't so even know what it means. It says, are they real? <laughs> That's what it says. I don't even know what it means. I hate you No, guys I don't so even know what it means. No, what but anyway, that came in. Here's one oh more. Oh, my God, I hate you. This is, this is Thomas from New Jersey, Mr. Springer. And, and this relates, Megan, to a conversation that These you and Jerry emails, and I right? had. This is a third in, uh, email. Do you remember it, it, we have our post-podcast dinner, mm-hmm. and we do that after every podcast. We go to a place called Skyline, a Cincinnati chili place in, yeah. in mm-hmm. Covington, Kentucky. So when there... Is it my week to pay? Well, you know, I think it is. <laughs> well, let's just see how many people go. If it's a large yeah. crowd, then it's well, definitely your night. It comes back around to yours, uh, to yours awfully quickly, but, though, I will admit. <laughs> Megan, do you remember... That Jerry talked about, well, maybe we should switch to like gout jokes gout joke, or shingles yes. jokes or something away yes, from hearing because, aids, oh. which I thought was horrible. But, but then, what, well, was that when you didn't you look up? Did you find any gout uh, jokes? Well, see, I if you Google, you cannot find no, we, we shouldn't no, make fun. We should of not gout. because, <laughs> and I don't think it's funny at all because I'm yeah, thinking, well, well, thanks for bringing it up. Well, I'm just saying, a, a friend of mine, Lewis Beck, he's a dear friend of mine. He has gout. Lewis well, has he gout. went to the doctor the other day and he walked in and he showed uh, his doctor his sore foot, and the doctor looked at it and said, Gout, and he said, Why? I just got here. So. <laughs> <laughs> He found the gout joke. That's yeah, it. There's exactly. only one. Yeah. I swear I look for it. Oh, there's nurse one, goes one. to the doctor yeah, says there's, no. a <laughs> <laughs> there's a guy there in the uh, waiting room. Uh, he no. says he's invisible. Doctor says, tell him I can't see him. No. Oh, oh, my gosh. God. This needs to stop. So a guy goes into a doctor and he says, uh, doctor says, why are you here? And he says, I've got shingles. And the doctor said, looks him up and down and says, I don't see him. He says, well, they're out in my truck. I'm with the roofing company. Your office called to fix a leak in the roof. Okay. Anyway, oh my so God. here's what I was thinking. This is borderline offensive. It is. Um, hey, I would prefer offensive. <laughs> I want to tell you something. Amen. This is pretty exciting. Yes. Because tonight, Yes. And we have now 27 podcast episodes up. So it's a little more than a half year. We put one up a week. Uh, and we have been talking about monetizing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And David, I think, has queued up, and I'm going to ask him in a second to play this. But we are, he's going to play the first ad for the Jerry Springer podcast, Tales, Tunes, and Tom Foolery. Oh, this is exciting. And it's very cool. Yeah. And so, David, if you'll play our first ad, please. Hi, I'm Gene Galvin, and I ride the Ludlow City Bus. I ride it in the morning, afternoon, and night, to church, to the grocery, to my proctologist, (laughs) even to my monthly meetings with the probation officer. It's easy to do. When the door opens, I walk up the stairway, drop my token into the slot, and take my seat by the big window to watch life roll by. So if you're like me and have had your dreams crushed by the cold, competitive American system— Then leave car driving to the oily hucksters and cheaters and ride with me on the Ludlow City Bus. Remember our motto, if it's not on our route, then you really don't need to go there. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So that's That's pretty pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. How is that? And oh, uh, they're sponsoring. They're now sponsoring yeah. Jerry Springer's podcast. Yeah, you think taxpayers will get I was a little say. upset? Well, it's a company? private bus company. It's private, it's so they can, private they can buy company. ads where they want. They can yeah. buy ads wherever the heck yeah. they want. And just by a show of hands here, how many people came here tonight on the Ludlow City bus? I, I, well, see, well, there, there you go. It's <laughs> a this lot. Is of the line. That's about half the audience here <laughs> came on the Ludlow City. Yeah, that you thought. See, you thought you had me, didn't you? <laughs> That backfires. <laughs> hey, hey, Jerry, <laughs> trust what, me. What? Every time the people will line up with somebody that rides public transportation yeah. versus somebody who got here on a Gulfstream private jet. Amen. Every time they'll side with the people. Well, now wait. On this thing you call, what do you call it? Boost? Bus. A bus. bus. Yeah. Yeah. Is that French? Yeah. 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 Now, dude, like, is it your own or... Do you take belongs, someone, belongs to the people. So, uh, is there more than one person on it? <laughs> a lot. Hey, you know what it makes Public me think of? This is a good segue. Yeah, well, years ago. Come up with something, okay? Years ago. <laughs> years ago, you yes. were uh, the mayor of Cincinnati, and you yes. were a city council member for a lot of years. And there was a time period in Cincinnati when you were serving in government that the bus company, which was owned by a private company, yeah. and the prices per ride were too high. And people who needed to ride the bus, working people to get the jobs, were priced out of it, true? Right, yes. So Cincinnati City Council took over the bus company and made it a public bus company, paid for by taxpayers. Yeah, the people voted so, on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what happened there, on a serious note, we had a privately owned bus company in Cincinnati. And in all fairness, um, the buses hardly went anywhere, and they didn't run on time. I mean, it was very difficult. It was no way to make it profitable, to be honest. And so we didn't have much of a public transportation system in Cincinnati. And that became a big issue in the early 70s. So we came up with a proposal that we would buy, we, the citizens of Cincinnati, would buy the bus company, make it publicly owned, and we would do that by passing a three-tenths of a percent earnings tax. So the people went to the polls and voted for it. And the, the deal was, if, you, if, we, if it passed, if the people agreed to buy the bus company, we would triple the number of buses, and we would drop the fare, which was over a dollar, I think, and plus transfers, et cetera. We would drop it to a quarter, and we promised to keep it at a quarter for five years. So for five nice. years, you could go anywhere in the city for a quarter. And uh, it passed. And you were for it. I was but head of the committee. not everybody was for it. No. Correct? Uh, On no. city council, nine members. Right. I was chairman of the committee, and uh, there was a lot of opposition. And, but anyway, we won the battle. And now there's a big celebration. It's the day where we're going to take over the bus company. And we were going to have a thing, for those who aren't from Cincinnati, Cincinnati has a Fountain Square, which is like the meeting place of the people in the tri-state area. It's, you know, it's the public place. All kinds of wonderful things happen on the square. So we were going to have a ceremony at noon. So the council members and all the government officials, most of whom had fought against this, all met at City Hall, and we were going to get on a bus and go down to Fountain Square for the big ceremony. Because no matter, even if you were against it, you're, if you're a politician, you want to be part of this wonderful moment, the cutting of the ribbon and all that. So they're all gathering there, and I'm, you know, I, I see this bus there. When I was a kid in England, all I wanted to do was be a bus driver. 
So, because um, they had the double-decker buses and all that. So I see the, the bus there and the bus driver sitting in the seat. No one's on the bus. I get on the bus and I start talking to him. And I said, would it be okay if I kind of sit here? You know, and he got up and he let me sit behind the wheel. And I'm asking him, is this how you shut the doors? And how do you do this? All of a sudden, it just gets on me. And I said, I'm going to take this bus. Because the other council members, they fought against this. Why? Why should they be part of this? I'm taking and, that bus and I'm going home. And I and the poor guy, because now I'm his like one of his bosses, right? Because I'm, you know, I'm a city councilman and he's the employee now, and he works for the city now. So he he's a real nice gentleman, but he doesn't know how to say don't dare do it. <laughs> so you know he kept saying, but be careful, Mr. Springer. Be careful, Mr. Springer. And he kept saying, I don't know how long the bus was, 38 feet or whatever, but he kept telling me it's 38 feet long because, you know, I'm turning corners. Well, I'm now going down, I think it was Plum Street, all the way down to Fifth Street where you turn to get to Fountain Square. Now, this was the most irresponsible, and I have a whole history of irresponsible behavior. <laughs> but this, this took the cake. If I would have hit somebody... I mean, we didn't have insurance for that. This was horrible. So basically, I stole the bus. But my view, looking in the rearview mirror, I see, I guess it was Ted Berry. God bless him. What a wonderful city. But he and these other councilmen, they all run back. He's running after the bus as I'm going down. Wait, wait. You don't have the plaques. You don't have the plaques. You know, there were going to be all these awards and trophies. So I got down there, and about 15, 20 minutes later, the rest of the council... They had a walk. They got there, and I was never their favorite. I think that's fantastic. How did we get that? No, that's, that's a great story. That's and, my bus and I, story. I, I remember bus. that was yeah. covered pretty widely, and there were two newspapers at the time, the Cincinnati Inquirer. Still it was front-page picture. It was a big thing. deal. Oh, it became I, kind of urban legend. That's a great story. Hey, um, recently, and, and I referenced this a few minutes ago, um, and I know you and I, who came from the 60s and were the same age, graduated from high school the same year, went to college the same time, uh, embraced folk music, though we lived in two different places, didn't even know each other. I guess we would call ourselves political activists back in the day. Yep. I know I participated in a lot of events and a lot of protests, and you did that, whether that was civil rights, anti-war stuff. As I lead into this, I want to mention something. My brother Jerry sitting in the audience tonight and you know when they pass, I'll just mention this real fast, you know when Congress, I think, opened up, it's called the Freedom of Information Act, I guess, yeah. where there is that. And I think under the Freedom of Information Act, you are permitted now to contact, there is a process, the FBI, and if, you, if they have a dossier on you, you can get it. You can find out what was said. Oh, no. And I know my brother Jerry... Yeah. contacted the FBI and I said, I'd like concerned. to see my, uh, the, the papers you have on me from the 60s. And they contacted him back and said, we, you know, we can't find anything. And he got really pissed off and said, you got to go back and look. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be something there on you. There is something yeah. in And they there. never could find yeah. anything. And when I found that out, my respect for my brother yeah. went down a yeah. couple notches. <laughs> With and me? I tell you what, and I've never asked because I'm afraid they'll say they don't have anything on me, so I don't want to know. Oh, with me, they said, uh, do you want volume one, two, or three? <laughs> <laughs> the greatest <laughs> hits. <laughs> yeah. Back in that time period, uh, getting serious here, we thought we lived in the, I don't know if I call it the greatest time, but the most tumultuous time, one of the most tumultuous times, in, uh, politically speaking, in the history of America, maybe. 
And then we, and we saw students so quick to uh, get involved and to take risks and to put something on the line. And you and I have talked about that over the years, and I've been an educator my whole life. I've always loved the kids that I've taught, but there were times when I thought, man, why don't they just get jacked up and do something? Nothing violent, but take some political action, use their brains, figure out what the pressure points are. And then, bam, recently, we saw something happen in Missouri at the University of Missouri that took us back to that time period and makes one think that if the trigger is right, kids do know what to do. Talk about that a little Time's bit. You know, it, everything is cyclical. I'm looking at what's happening today, and I see we are starting to relive the late 50s and early 60s, which means that what's coming may not be so happy. Uh, what I mean by that is that in the late 50s and early 60s, there was student activism. One, because there was this great moral issue, which was the civil rights movement, which came about in a large part because all of a sudden we had television sets. So just like today, the technological revolution of you know cell phones and the internet and all that, social media, is all of a sudden waking, and it's a great tool of activism. Back then it was the television, because we had always had discrimination in America, obviously, slavery and segregation. But all of a sudden, for the first time, we saw that discrimination on our television sets in the evening news when Sheriff Bull Connors was uh, beating little black children over the head trying to go to school. And it didn't matter really at some point what your politics were. At some point, you just as a human being said, that's not right. And that moved America. But it started out as, with the aid of technology, of young people suddenly saying, this is morally wrong. And so on college campuses around the country, we did a podcast on this. We had college students up north that got on a bus and joined the Freedom Rides to help integrate the South. So that's how it started. In fact, the whole idea Gene and I had for this podcast, I mean, having a podcast, was because we loved this music and we're also very political. But there was a marriage between politics and music back in the 60s, which again, with television and the, uh, the media, all of a sudden made it possible for young people to become really active and easily active. So they would grab a cause and the music, who were the popular musicians of the day? Peter, Paul and Mary, Bob Dylan, uh, Donovan. I mean, it was, it was all, the music was political. And then came Vietnam. And in Vietnam, that was the thing that finally got all young people political. And I mean all, because every kid graduating from high school knew that either he, or in some cases she, or someone in your family was going to Vietnam. And the chances are they wouldn't come back alive or they'd come back horribly injured, maimed, whatever. And so it wasn't just a hobby, gee, I think I'll major in political science. Politics was life, and that's why it became our music. Just like Roots music today is starting to represent what people are feeling. Today, the big issue, once again, race and also income disparity. So the, a lot of the music is hard scrabble times. And look at what's happening now. We got what you know, recently happened at the University of Missouri, but you put that together with 
In fact, let's interject real fast, yeah. Jerry. What, what we're talking about is the fact that there were incidents of racial harassment on the yep. campus of the University of Missouri. Yep. Jonathan Butler, a grad student, protested by saying, I'm not going to eat food until the president would resign. The reason he attacked the president politically was the president showed insensitivity to the situation on the campus. And there was a group there called Concerned Student 1950. They joined in. And then the last unbelievable pressure point, political pressure point, was the black players on the football team said, we won't go back out on the gridiron until the guy leaves, meaning we won't practice, we won't play, putting at risk a $1 million fine for backing out of the next game, which was the BYU game, Brigham Young University, for a breach of contract $1 million penalty. And the less oh, yeah. pressure. And the lesson of that, which is exactly consistent with what happened back then, the power of protest, if you're living in a democracy and you don't have to worry about the government coming in, you know, with guns and, you know, dictatorship, but the power of protest is ultimately economic. The sit-ins were about economics. The sit-ins at the cafeteria and on the buses, if they could stop the commerce of that downtown, all of a sudden, the city fathers would pay attention. It's always economic. And wasn't it interesting? This group uh, called 1950. Right, Concerned Student 1950. 50, because that's when uh, the University of Missouri integrated for the first time. And that's why they have 1950. But the racial issues at that university, as at many places throughout America, has been festering for years and years and years. And it's interesting that even this incident where they had a demonstration several weeks ago, and then during the demonstration there was a homecoming parade, and the president, as you said, of the university, as he's in the parade, the protesters were stopping his car because they wanted to be heard on the issue of race relations at the university, and the car bumped into one of the students. All of a sudden that became this huge issue, but still, after that, nothing was done until the football team said, we're not going to play next weekend, and that would cost the university, as you said, Gene, over a million dollars. That is what wakes people up. And think of it, all the protests that are starting to take place in America today, which we better start paying attention to, right now it's just a little protest in Ferguson. A little protest at Mizzou, Occupy Wall Street. It's always just a little group there that makes the headlines for a day or two or whatever. What about 150 cities? Just had a, yesterday or a couple of days ago had the demonstration to raise the minimum wage. We need to start paying attention because a younger generation is standing up now and saying, they are getting ready to go into a world of great income disparity and not good race relations. We better do something about it pretty quickly. We can't ignore it because it's always one little incident that blows everything up. And then you say, well, it's just a little incident. I can't believe they're burning down the city because of this one incident. But it's because it's built up. It's built up over all this time. We have to pay attention to what is going on in Missouri. Universities are exactly where an issue such as race 
should be discussed, should be dealt with. And the reason is, number one, obviously, these are our future leaders. You know, among the group will come future leaders. And secondly, part of going to a university is to get all different groups together and to meet people that you don't meet in grade school growing up on your block where everyone looks alike. And for much of America, that's the case. Otherwise, just go to school on your computer. That's the education. As much as learning the science and the math, which is important, we want to learn. We want our young people to start having a discussion that, frankly, many of us, when we were younger, didn't have. And we're paying the price for that. I was just talking to someone from the Cincinnati Inquirer just before the show, and the subject came up. It's the idea that when we talk about, on my show, for example, crazy as it is, every Monday night I take the guys out, the guys being the security guys, a couple of the cameramen, and it is all men, but it's about 12 of us, just guys' night out. The group, though, 12, 13 guys. Five are African-American. They're about three are Hispanic. The rest of us are Caucasian. So sitting at this table, I mean, it's a real education to me. We have the different races. We have cops and African-Americans and Hispanics and you know, we talk sports and all that, but then invariably, including yesterday, which is why it's on my mind today, this subject comes up. And if you think about it, normally when we talk about race, we talk only to people of our own race about it. You know, it's, it's a bunch of white guys sitting around and some of us are liberal and some of us are conservative and say, well, you know, if they just obey the law, then the cops wouldn't do what they do, et cetera. You know, but how often do grown-ups sit down of different races and have a conversation about it. And to hear their take, you know, the conclusion, which, Gene, you know, because you were in the public school system for years as a, as a teacher and, a, and a, you know, running a school system. But what we see is that those of us who are white, and this is not me giving this oldest pinko speech. I'm telling you, it is God's truth. We don't know. We can try to intellectualize what it is like to be black in America, but we really don't know. We don't feel it. It just, it, it's conversations you never have. I don't ever remember ever having a conversation, for example, with my daughter, with our daughter, and saying, Katie, if it's at night, don't be running on the street. And when one of the guys yesterday said, yeah, he has a conversation with his teenage son, he says, don't ever be running at night. Not if you get stopped by a cop, don't run. That's obvious. But just don't be horsing around running. It's things that they, they have to think about and worry about that isn't even on our radar. And that's just one you know, example of that. And I'm saying these discussions taking place on a college campus today when it is blacks and whites together talking to each other about how they feel, I'm telling you, it's going to be much better for their generation as they move into adulthood. And, you know, they, they look at how many issues they're so much better than we were on in, in any event. Each generation is going to get better on this. So I'm really happy about what those protesters are doing, what the football players are doing, because they're recognizing that life isn't just football. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Yep. Good job. <clears throat> well, and that coach, too, that stood behind them. Yeah. And, and I yep. was really impressed with the coach and yes. with the school. And yep. They had a lot of support from 
the entire and school. And that they figured out, Megan and Jerry, how what pressure points to put. And mm-hmm. it's not like that was a course. It wasn't like some adults came in and said, oh, it's what you should do. Well, and they realized they, they had that, that power as that group, that yeah. they were the ones that were going to be able to make power. that change. It's really, and it, it's really and impressive. And like you said, Jerry, it's economic power. And some yeah. of the, cool. the things, and then we'll get to the music. Yeah. Some of the incidents, by the way, that they live with every day that we never heard about. Yeah. They have a black student council president. And he's called the N-word and fraternity parties. They get drinking and they start all these racial, mm-hmm. you know, saying bad things Swastikas about... Swastikas all over the campus. Swastika yep. with stuff. That, and, and they deal with it every day. Yep. And if you're African-American, you just... On a campus that is only 7% black, you kind of... You take it. Well... You, how long are you going to take it before yeah. you get really pissed off? Well, it yep. just fe- that does. I mean, as we think about it and talk about it, it, it feels like everything we remember from the 60s. It's, yeah. it's crazy. But anyway, uh, all right, hey, let's talk about, and in fact, I want to ask the Cincinnati Dancing Pigs if they would come in and join us. This is a musical group we're real excited to have. They are a group that has been around since, as I recall, 1967, and we'll clean up some of this information if I'm off on it. I'm really excited to Uh, see them again. They have won uh, an award for a National Jug Band Award, and I'm going to ask them when they get set up to remind me what that is, the specific award. And one of the members of the group, Jerry Springer, uh, as mayor of Cincinnati, uh, married him. Which I, mean, I think that's the way you say it, but I don't. It doesn't sound right when yeah. you say it. No, this was. Or this, you married them? Yeah, this is worse. You yeah. married them. Gay marriage wasn't legal yet. I want alimony. Yeah. <laughs> you're the one. I yeah. 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 And, hey, did, did it take? Did it take? Yeah. <laughs> no, because you know when you're mayor, you have the power to uh, marry people and. Um, you know, perform the ceremony. So, you, so you came in. Was it in the mayor's office? Yes, it was. You came Aww. in. Did you throw rice? No, someone did. Though. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get into that issue. Before we hear from the Cincinnati Dancing <laughs> Never Pigs, got it out of the carpet. Let's give a round of applause to Lewis Beck that just entered the room. Are you serious? Oh. <laughs> it, it's just wonderful, and, and you'd think he would get here at eight o'clock when it starts. Yeah. But Why? he didn't. But anyway, let's recognize Lewis. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's down the hallway. To the anyway, <laughs> let's circle back to the to the Cincinnati Dancing Pigs. Uh, they have they are well known in the Cincinnati area, but they yep. their skills take them well beyond Cincinnati. In fact, let me ask uh, one of you, Keith, step up and tell us what's the name of the, the award that you got. I want to make sure I get that right. We were inducted into the Jug Band Hall of Fame about two years. Ago. Yeah, Yay! that's big. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. All right, let's hear. And the American Pork Association gave you an award, <laughs> as I understand, too. The winner yeah. of the world awaited. Yeah. <laughs> let's hear a song from the Cincinnati Dancing Pigs. Woo! Woo! Eagle on the 
on the dollar says in God we trust A woman wants a man, she wants to see that dollar first Now tell me how long must I wait Can I get you now or must I hesitate Cincinnati Dancing Pigs. By the way, we're recording this on Veterans Day, and I want to uh, bring attention to the fact that several of the Dancing Pigs are veterans. We have members of the Marine Corps. We have the Sailors, I recall, yeah. <clears throat> and yeah. and any other members of our audience who yeah. uh, serve. Thank you. Thank for you your for service. your service. Very God much. bless you. Thank you. 
I'd like to ask the Cincinnati Dancing Pigs, maybe starting over on the left here, and you guys, if you would, step into the mic when you talk, please. But let it, introduce yourselves, please. Let's go around the circle real quick. Right, well, I'm Eric Catfish Evans. I play the uh, guitar with the Dancing Pigs. I'm the new guy. I've been uh, with the Pigs for about six years now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Ed Hubcap Horning, and, uh, you know, I've been in the Dancing Pigs since 1976. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then Keith? I'm Keith Baker. Uh, I play the washboard and sometimes the saw. That's and fish uh, fished it, <laughs> cat, yeah. cat and fish stick, as they call me. That's a whole nother story. Um, yeah. And I've been in the band uh, longer than Ed and not as long as Eric, but no one seems to quite know for how long. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Tom Beck. I'm the bass player of the Pigs. I've been in the band 15 years. Uh, I'm the theoretical chemist in the band. That's right, it's Dr. Tom. Yeah. Uh -huh. Swinestein. Swinestein, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Swinestein. Uh, yeah, I'm Eric Hambone Buer, and uh, I'm married to uh, Jerry, and I are married. <laughs> yeah. Hi. <laughs> Hi. It's longer than that. Um, yeah, since, uh, yeah, since yeah, about 1967, 68. Are you an original member, by the uh, yeah, way? Yeah, I, I was. I'm he the only. I, I'm the only guy who's been in the band that long. So I guess that makes me. All the rest of the guys are in France and Spain and places like that having uh, adventures. So you got married in '78. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And we did it at the office there. That's I mean, right. that, that ceremony. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> and you can't help yourself. I. I just. Yeah, we, we do have pictures. You have pictures? Well, you, 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 you saw it at, at, the, uh, at the Esquire Theater. I'm sorry, we couldn't... Oh, right. Yes, yes. The so there was an event at the Esquire Theater, which is Cincinnati Theater, yeah. and you brought photos we of you and the white. We did, did. yes, <laughs> yes. And, and by the way, um, so you, you started with the group in 1967, and you guys have played a lot of places and, and done a lot of things over the years. So... Have there been various people that have kind of worked their ways in and out of the band over yeah, well, that time period? Jerry sat in with us on bass on top of the Carew Tower many years ago. It, it was, uh, uh, was I sober? <laughs> <laughs> How would we know? Yeah. I think you said uh, jug, and so I went up there finger and yeah, had a drink. I didn't I know I'd be playing. There we go. Do yeah. another song for us, would you? Sure. Okay. This is a song we wrote a number of years ago, and it was when the uh, National Organization of Women was holding its political caucus here in town. Yeah, yeah. That back in those days, way they, back, they could still hold back. caucuses. One of the events that they decided to have was a was a chili cook-off, and this is a time when they're trying to liberate women from the kitchen and stuff. And so they decided to hold a chili cook-off. And I thought if you're trying to liberate women, you do like hay baling or drywall finishing or welding or tire changing or something. But in their wisdom, they saw fit to hold this chili cook-off. And their second mistake was to hire us to play for it. Yeah. <laughs> so we felt, we realized we had a unique opportunity to help liberate women. Yeah. And so uh, Eric uh, penned the words to this song. It's a song called The Chili Blues. One, two, three, four. Some people will do anything for power, wealth, and fame And never can be satisfied, now isn't that a shame? Music, sex, and cookies are what some people choose but I require a three-way when I get them chili blues. I want to have a three-way with everybody here. Spaghetti, cheese, and chili is my kind of beer. When people get a whiff of it, they stop and yell and cheer. I want to have a three-way with everybody here. She told me that she loved me. I 
each other that we always would be true. I got her an engagement ring, it cost about a dollar. And when I slipped it on her hand, you ought to heard her holler. I want to have a three-way with everybody here. Spaghetti, cheese, and chili, I fine with beer. When people get away from it, they stomp and yell and cheer. I want to have a three-way with everybody here. This this is the truth, and I am in, I'm not embarrassed by it, but you should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely go with that feeling. I I swear to God, this afternoon I'm in Stamford, Connecticut, doing our show, and our show today <laughs> was on three ways, <laughs> and I'm think I yeah, and I'm. Why were we I'm thinking we could have have had the first time we could have had background music for our show. (laughs) I'm kicking myself. Yeah, we'll be there. I was going to say, I got a feeling on the Jerry Springer show, that's going to come up again. again. That's the Cincinnati Dancing Pigs, man. They are great. And you can see why they've been playing as long as they have and they win the awards that they do. Could you guys take us out on Hootie Ledbetter or Leadbelly's Irene Goodnight? And Jerry Springer will jump in on it. Been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Sometimes I live in the country 
Sometimes I live in town Sometimes I take a great notion To jump in the river and drown Irene, good night Irene, good night Good night, Irene, good night, Irene I'll see